So when was the last time you had pain in your life? Or maybe it's currently, whether it's physical or mental or emotional. Uh, I'm sure any of us don't have to go very far back to uh, remember some emotional pain, uh, depending on how old you are, physical pain, uh, and uh, some kind of mental pain, uh, you know, pain that comes from a broken relationship or uh, struggle with other people. Uh, pain is a reality of life. There is no one who gets through life without it. And even the perfect Lord and Savior was a, a great experiencer of it. And it tells you that something's wrong. Pain is an indication that something's wrong. If you have pain in your body, there's something wrong. Hopefully you can get it fixed. Sometimes you can't. Uh, when pain is in us emotionally or mentally, there's something wrong. And God uses that to show you that you need to change something, which, as we're going to look at today, is really a beginning. Uh, we often think of change as like, oh, man, I don't want to change. And that's what repentance is, the word that John the Baptist is using here. Jesus is going to use the same word, use word for word in Matthew's gospel is, Jesus's message in John's, but you know, repentance is to turn around. It is to change, but think of it also as a new beginning. You know, we're starting out on a new journey. That sounds more exciting, especially to me. You know, turn around and go back the way you came. I, I hate that. I hate. I hate that. I hate retracing my steps or having to redo something. But um, when it's a new beginning, what God is telling us is that we need to begin a way of thinking, a perception, or something of that sort, uh, a way of anything, any method that is spiritual, we need to start it new. And, uh, and that's what we're going to see today. It's amazing. In our postmodern world, the promise to people is that we're going to give you a life without pain. Right? Like free speech zone. What is that about? That's a place, you know, you can avoid that place and no one's going to say anything that hurts your feelings. Or if something does hurt you or you're accused of something, you can blame somebody or blame your race or blame your upbringing or blame somebody else. And, you know, it's, and, and the whole, this whole uh, leftist, woke, postmodern world is trying to tell people that everybody's going to do things by which they will not be offended or put in pain in any way. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that people buy that is incredible. That can't be. Well, it's on. <coughs> what now? It te- <laughs> is, it, oh, is it off again? Is it off? That is awesome. Well, that's because I'm talking right into it. Anything. Test one, two, test one, two. Is it coming through? Is it staticky? Yeah? All right. All right, please hold. Right, where are you two going? No, where? 
Uh, let's um, turn stuff off and turn it back on like that. Yeah, let's try that. Test one, two. Test one, two. That sounds better. All right. Was that was that still on when you came in, Gail? This this thing here? It was. Okay. All right. Turn it off. Turn it on. That's our right. <laughs> Technical. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was like, yes, I'm an electrician. I unplug it and plug it back in, and it fixes itself. All right. Well, the heck with that opening then. Yeah. Um, pain shatters the illusion that all things are well. Pain shatters the illusion that you are sufficient in what you have right now. Something needs to change. Something needs to go. Something needs to be added. And again, I want us to think of it as a new beginning. That's what we're going to see today. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. And let's open with prayer and be thankful and grateful as we pray and being humble before God and before his word uh, so that we can learn mightily what we're going to look at today. So with that in mind, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, is my mic out again? Yeah. Gail, is there a signal coming back there? There is not. All right. Keep praying. Pray for my microphone. <laughs> this is ridiculous. All right, Gail, let's shut everything off and turn it back on. No, I just, it's on. It's, it's green. work if we were on the wrong channel. Channel 2, test 1, 2, test 1, 2. All right, well, it's good there, and it's good there. And uh, if it goes out again, I don't know. I have no clue what that is. <coughs> Matthew chapter 3. All right, so um, people will generally uh, prefer the status quo. You know that. We don't like change all that much. Uh, excuses are generally made as to why we cannot start a change. There's a, we're very good at that as well. Uh, today we look at the place that is, uh, first off, the theme. That's what we want to look at first. In Matthew chapter 3, is the theme, in the, in the entire chapter, is the theme of the coming king. And the king is going to present himself. Matthew has already presented the king in terms of genealogy <coughs> and his, uh, the origin of his 
uh, trip from, Na well, if they come from Nazareth, it looks like they do, Nazareth to Bethlehem to Egypt, back to Bethlehem, back to Nazareth, and that he grows up in Nazareth. Uh, Matthew brings in all Old Testament prophecies to show that Christ there is the fulfillment of Israel um, and, and their Messiah. And now there's a, a change here. As you say, look at Matthew 3.1. It says, now in those days. And that's a very generic way of saying uh, in a narrative that I'm changing the scene. Uh, and, of course, we can see this, that the scene is changed. John the Baptist just comes to us, just splashes on the page with really no explanation of where he's from. Uh, but the other Gospels give a little more explanation, especially Luke's. And so in this chapter is, it's not about John, right? John is a forerunner. John is <clears throat> announcing the king. He, he himself is prophesied, as John says, from both Isaiah and Malachi. And so John is, this is not about John, it's about Jesus. And Jesus as the king who is now coming and coming in a way that he's going to present himself to his people. And now we're going to have a changeover as well, which again, it's a beginning, it's a new beginning. And that ritual, which we see in water baptism, is going to change to a reality, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is eternal and unchangeable. Water baptism that John is giving here, which is a cleansing based on first confessing sin and then being cleansed by him in a ritual fashion, uh, it does in no way atone for anyone's sins. Uh, it, it's just a, it's an open for profession to God that, yes, I'm changing from a poor Israelite to a good Israelite. Uh, it has no permanency. It doesn't save anybody. But it's here obviously necessary. John is sent to do it. And it's done to prepare Israel for the coming of their king. And so the main theme in chapter 3 is the coming of the king and with him the kingdom. But we're going to work around that as we, you know, we there's much to say about that. We couldn't say it all in one class. So today we're going to focus on the wilderness. And I, you know, I, for one, if I had not researched this, I would have been like just passed right by it. But it is amazing when you just double check the word wilderness throughout the scripture, how much you come up with and, uh, and how important it is. Um, so in chapter three, verse one, now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is, the, this is his message. It's, not, it's just a snippet of it. It's not all that he says. The word preaching, it, you know, we have a modern idea of what preaching is. This Greek word uh, is, is keruso, and, and uh, kerus means more of a proclaimer. And so he's not like a preacher, <laughs> you know, if you get that idea. But he's proclaiming something. The word means to announce or to proclaim. Preaching's fine. But um, he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And we don't know exactly where this is. We just know that he's in proximity to the Jordan. The Jordan's, Jordan Valley is pretty large, so we don't know exactly where he is or where he was. But John proclaimed that baptism in, or, or proclaimed and baptized in the wilderness and the wilderness is more than a location marker. 
In other words, it doesn't really matter if we know where John is. It's the signification of the word wilderness. Uh, so look at, go to Isaiah 40. We'll look at a couple of passages in Isaiah before we come back. This is what John is saying, and it's said of Matthew concerning him. But he's quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3. And we find out that a voice in the wilderness, uh, the wilderness itself, is a recurring prophetic theme in the Bible. Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. And as he continues with this prophecy, with a prophecy here being fulfilled by John, this voice that's calling to clear a way is to make his path straight, is preparing your own heart, Israel, for the coming of your Messiah. And that preparation is based upon what John is teaching them, which is to repent. Uh, this is proclaimed to them in Isaiah 800 years, roughly, before Christ comes. But now that Christ has come, uh, then now this repenting is uh, dire. In other words, it, it has to be done now. You can't put it off any longer uh, when it comes to that generation in Israel. And and this is a place of new beginnings. Okay, so if you go down to verse 10, it says, the Behold, the Lord will come with might, and with his, ruling, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And so this is the coming of the Lord. And in a way, this speaks of Jesus coming. He is coming to rule. But if they accept him, uh, they're going to reject him, and so this would therefore, because it, we know that they're going to reject him, so this uh, would pertain to the second coming, and that the second coming is also something new, and at the second coming, we have also a something that happens in the wilderness. And so here we have this voice calling in the wilderness in Isaiah 40. Uh, there's the, the continued message in here is you, after verse 3 is to raise the valleys and lower the mountains. This is a means of which God is going to, sounds like a landscaping, in fact. He's going to lower the hills and raise the valleys. And these hills and mountains in this passage refer to the arrogant, proud kings, rulers, uh, that's generally in prophecy what mountains refer to. And it says God's going to mow them down. And that's a beginning. A beginning of a new world in which the oppressed are no longer oppressed and the oppressors are no longer oppressing. And there's going to come a day when that's true. And that is a new world. It was in the wilderness that the children of Israel, after escape from Egypt, Egypt began its existence as a people of God. They become a nation they become with a, a ruler, with Moses, and a law, and a government, in fact, in the wilderness. That experience of 40 years in the wilderness is lived out by Jesus Christ for 40 days while he's tested in the wilderness. And after that, he begins his ministry. So in the wilderness, we over and over again, we find beginnings. It's odd that a beginning would start in a wilderness, but it's really not when you think, when you couple it with the fact that in a wilderness also comes trials. That's always because in the wilderness you don't have stuff. Right? It's a, it is, it's 
quiet. There's no food. Like with Jesus, there's no, he had nothing to eat for 40 days. Same with the Israelites. Jesus doesn't complain. They did. Uh, you lack things in the wilderness. And it becomes a trial. And therefore, it becomes pain. And uh, we'll see. There's a great application uh, to us uh, in our current lives. In uh, Jeremiah 2.2, just to press this home continuing, uh, Jeremiah 2.2, the prophet writes, I remember, well, God, through the prophet, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothals, your following after me in the wilderness through a land not sown. And this is a reminder of the exodus. Uh, Jeremiah, God is using Jeremiah to tell Israel, do you remember when I led you out of Egypt? You were a bride to me. I loved you. It's very tender and emotional. And where did it begin in the wilderness? Uh, Just after condemning Israel for her idolatry, uh, it's uh, good to be reminded of this over and over, that Jeremiah is prophesying, uh, during the uh, time of the Babylonian uh, uh, oppression of Israel, and Jeremiah is, and at the same time, Ezekiel is prophesying in Babylon. So while Jeremiah is prophesying in Jerusalem area in Judea, when the uh, near the end of the kingdom of Judah, you know, late uh, 500s, um, actually we say early 500s because it goes backwards. Uh, BC <clears throat> uh, and Ezekiel at the same time as in Babylon uh, prophesying to the captives and this in Ezekiel 20 verse 34 and 35 this is right after he condemns Israel for idolatry not a, a new thing for a prophet correct this is constant throughout the prophets and then God continues through the prophet to promise them something and notice his promise and this refers to the second coming of the Messiah He says, with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples. And there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. And this wilderness becomes, we see this in in, uh, several other prophecies that are parallel to this, is that when the Lord returns, he's going to take all people into the wilderness and judge them there. He says, uh, I think it's in this passage that he's going to have a bar and they're going to pass under the bar, just like sheep do for a shepherd. And he's, and he's going to judge between all people. Uh, where does it happen? In the wilderness. So again, this is a trial. There's a judgment. And there's a new beginning. Now, God also states multiple times in the book of Isaiah that he's going to make the wilderness flower. And he's going to turn the wilderness into a paradise. Look at Isaiah 41, 41, 18. There's uh, three of these that are very similar in in Isaiah, in which he speaks in this exact way. The wilderness has changed. Isaiah 41, 18. I will open rivers on the bare heights. And springs in the midst of the valleys, I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land fountains of water. I will put the cedar in the wilderness, the acacia and the myrtle and the olive tree. I will place the juniper in the desert together with the box tree and the cypress. 
that they may see and recognize and consider and gain insight as well that the hand of the Lord has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. And so God changes the wilderness. Now, why is this changed? It's because, you know, the Lord has finally come to establish his kingdom. And at the second coming, when that kingdom is established, which is the fulfillment of all the covenants to Israel, God is going to change what was barren and dry and naked and, again, a place of want and a place of need into a place of prosperity. And he's going to do this literally and figure, uh, not figuratively, literally. Those are opposites. He's going to do this uh, with literal uh, fauna and flora. So, um, you know, it's okay, sure. So we'll see this in the future. It'll be great, right? But how is your wilderness situation? Whatever pain, and then I'm, we're talking from small changes to all the way up the scale to the whatever the biggest change. You know, a big change could be that God wants you to move somewhere or God wants you to, I don't know, uh, change something very drastically. But, you know, in reality, it's the thousands and thousands of little changes that really make the great impact in our lives, not the handful of big changes that happen in our life. There's only a handful of those. Thank God. But the little changes like, you know, you need to love that enemy. And God makes it very clear. Somebody in a situation like that. Or I have a person in my life who is causing me fear, say. And God says, you know what? It's time for you to stop fearing that person. It's time to change. Yeah, I don't like change. How about a new beginning? It's time for you to learn how to love that person. Now, how does this happen for us? God squeezes us. It's one of the, the Greek words for uh, trial. is a word that means to be squeezed between two walls. It's pressure. And he says, look, you're either going to continue to be in pain and miserable or fearful. Fear is pain. Uh, anxiety is pain. Worry is pain. Uh, self-doubt is pain. Uh, jealousy is pain. And God is going to put you in a situation where he's squeezing you. And it's a, call it a little wilderness. And what God wants to do with that wilderness is turn it into an oasis. And how's he going to do that? Well, you have to respond to the trial. It is a trial. And so when John is in the wilderness, he's calling Israel out to repent. They're not all going to be like, oh, sure, John, that sounds great. Repent, that sounds great. Confess your sins. Yeah, I'd love to. You know, I'd love to open up to you and to all these people around that I've been cheating people. Or, uh, you know, I'm a tax collector who's been taking too much from people. Those are the examples given in the Gospel of John where they asked John, what should we do? And they're all based around economic issues. When John talks to them, he says, you're cheating people. In other words, you who have power are oppressing others who don't have power. Now admit it. They're not going to want to do that. If they do, 
They're preparing themselves for the coming Messiah. In other words, you realize you're a proud, sinful person who does not follow your God. And that's a, you know, it's for us it would be John's conviction of them is the same for us as the conviction of God the Holy Spirit, which continues through our spiritual lives. We get convicted of the fact that, yeah, we don't live up to the standard that we've been called to. And God says, God will put us in a place where we have to change. I I don't know of any Christian. I, I just can't imagine anybody who just hears it from the word and says, oh, sure, I'll do that. I I mean, I think for some things that's true. But for a whole bunch of things, especially when it comes to divine virtue, that without pain, we're not going to do it. And so God pushes us, and that is the wilderness. And God's going to water that wilderness if we respond properly. And so this wonderful imagery that's given to us by the prophets applies to the church magnificently. Would you rather be a a barren valley or a barren desert in your heart? Or would you rather be a a fountain of trees and an oasis? Fruitful. So the wilderness is a place of testing and a place of beginnings. A place of testing and a place of beginnings. And you've got to have the testing first. And, uh, and so, as James is going to tell us, we'll turn there in a little bit, that we should rejoice in these. Now, it's very hard to remember that when they begin, you know, when the pain initiates. But if we're smart enough and reminded enough, here comes the law of repetition. We have to be reminded over and over that, you know, we'll start thinking of James or in other passages. It's like, you know what? This is for my benefit. God is teaching me something. And then every pain, every single pain means something's wrong. Even if it's sin, right? Sin sin, uh, brings forth pain. (coughs) And that pain is absolutely necessary. I'm talking to somebody recently about that who's trying to overcome something. And they were going on and on about how painful it is. And I'm like, yep. I mean, thank God, right? You know, uh, I think of the, I see the articles I've been reading lately and, and other things. There's this particular book I've been listening to, which is, is somewhat bizarre, but uh, it's, a, it's about recent history. This, I'm, re, I'm listening to a, his, a book about history that's recent history. I'm usually listening to like more older history, but this is about like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And how Amer- and it's all about America. It's about how America changed. And what's amazing about this text, this book, is that the guy is mostly looking at people that you've never heard of, but who you know climbed the ladder to Washington and were like, I don't know, like a legal counsel in the White House, who you've never heard of. But their journey and the you know their desire to get to the White House, say. And just be in that place, to be in the West Wing, you know. And, and, but then they, because they're not the success, they're not the president or the senator, they see it for what it is. 
and then eventually they get kicked out. Because, and then you find out, you know, you find, and as I'm looking at this or listening to this, I'm like, man, you know, would you like to be one of these rich, powerful people that, you know, how do you get rich and powerful in Washington? This is a game you got to play, and you got to play it well. And there are sharks swimming all around you. They smell, they smell blood, just like real sharks, right, from miles away. And uh, <clears throat> you want that? Isn't there pain in it? Like some, the, some people think, well, wow, wouldn't that be wonderful? I'm flying around in private jets and I've got mansions all over the world and I can do whatever I want and blah, blah, blah. And there's still there's pain in those people's souls. I guarantee it. Because God loves them. That's why there's pain there. There's either loneliness. There's a understanding that your life is not fulfilled. That you haven't learned how to love. Things like that. The human race knows this. God puts pain upon us. As believers, he does the same thing. <clears throat> but as believers, he has something in mind for us. And that is to mature. God loves you too much to not make you mature to the image of Christ. He loves you too much. Now, he can't force you. But he's never going to quit on getting you there. And that's why the trials are going to keep coming and coming and coming. And we can tell we God, can you please stop this? He's going to be like, no, I love you too much. Can you ease off? No, I love you too much. That would be less love, not more love. <clears throat> if you left me alone, that would show me that you love me more. God's like, no, idiot. That would show, me, show you that I love you less. My love is a consuming fire. And I'm going to consume you. So the wilderness, the, the beginning, uh, sorry, that beginning, whatever the experience of the beginning is. So what, what else happens in the wilderness we see in the Exodus generation is death. So we either begin something new, like going into the promised land, or we die. And that's how we depend. That's, you know, the response to the test. Now, I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about failing the test, which is, in a way, a sort of experiencing of a, you know, a lack of spiritual growth or, uh, or you know, more carnality, if you will. And that the Bible describes, and James would describe it that way, as a, a way of faith without works that is an experience of death. So we have the start of Israel as a nation. Uh, significantly is the prophet Elijah, who spent 40 days in the wilderness after he was rejected by uh, and chased out of town. I don't think he was chased out of town. I think it's just his heart was broken that uh, Ahab and Jezebel did not respond to his great miracle. And Israel didn't respond to him. And he went off and he sulked in the wilderness. And that's, he's at Mount Sinai, in fact. He's there 40 days, and God comes to him and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And that's when he says, I'm the only prophet in Israel. Nobody listens to me. And God's like, Elijah. But, right, he, Elijah's awesome. He's this wonderful prophet of God. He's amazing. He fails. Where does he fail? In the wilderness. John the Baptist is in the wilderness. The Lord's testing is in the wilderness. You know, Israel as a nation in the wilderness. When David's running from Saul, 
the great king of Israel, who would be the one, the title of the Messiah is son of David. He's this great king through which an unconditional covenant would be named. He ran from Saul in the wilderness. But we know also that David was a failure. The Lord's judgment at his second coming, all of it takes place in the wilderness. And all of it, like after David's wilderness sojournings, which is 10 years, he starts the kingdom. He becomes king. It's a new beginning. So in the wilderness, we see this over and over. Trial, testing, some fail, some succeed. The only one who succeeds all the time is the Lord. And then there's a new beginning. The significant application of you and me, as I've already mentioned, but it deserves being mentioned again, is that the wilderness is a place of testing just as much as it is a place of new beginnings. And when you and I have to deal with tests, trials, they bring a level of pain, uh, some more than others. That pain can only be felt as want. Now, either I don't want this or I do want something else, but there's a want. The want of water in the desert is like relief from testing. If I'm thirsty, we want it to be over. We want it to be eased. Can you turn down the heat? And sometimes we seek easing on our own. We seek comfort through the trial in either alcohol, drugs, sexual stimulation. Those are the three big addictions. Or some other distraction. We pour ourselves into our work or... We do something to get our mind off the pain instead of dealing with it. What is easy to forget is that in trial, in its pain, God is training us for a new beginning. And that we need to remember so that when we're in the wilderness, that we know that something new is coming and we should be excited for that. Some, and everything, we're talking about new beginnings in which God is taking you closer to the maturity that is Christ. And every one of those is wonderful. Some of these beginnings are major life changes. Some of them are seemingly small in comparison. But the greatest magnitude of change in your life is all these small ones that are added all up. They, they add up to far more than any, you know, those handful of big changes that people have in their lives. These are new beginnings of which, you know, you need a new thought process concerning work, concerning a person, concerning yourself. You need, you need a new divine thought process concerning something. And God wants to change that. And it's time to change it, which he knows. And so he puts you under pressure. It's time maybe to stop thinking of yourself so much. And God shows you that. It's time to start loving someone who's very unlovable. Uh, or anything. It's time to have more endurance when it comes to uh, whatever tasks you have to fulfill. Uh, maybe you fear something or someone, and God wants you over it. <clears throat> maybe God wants you to start a life without that addiction that you have. That's a big one, and a wonderful one, and God will put you in a corner. Where are you going to have to change or continue to accept the pain? How to love an enemy so that you can begin a serious and proper prayer life. God will do that. If he under, you know, obviously he understands that your prayer life needs to be 
greatly improved and vastly, you know, it needs to go from, for a lot of Christians, it's just some ritual that they go through, and God wants it real. And so he puts, it, he puts the pressure on you and forces you on your knees. Do we like it? No. But the result is a new beginning. To live life as one who prays in a real way, in an honest way to God, is such a different life for a Christian than one who does not. The one who either struggles to pray or um, you know, has prayer in their lives as some kind of ritual. The list of things like this go on and on. I just thought of a few examples, but the list is enormous. The, all the things, the way of thinking and acting that God wants us to change, they're all of them new beginnings. Look at, for, I'll go to 1 Corinthians 10. So together, all of those changes, when we add them all up together, you, know, God, you almost forget some when God changed something in you and you started the new beginning of, I don't know, you, uh, I, I only think of examples for me and then I give it away, but you know, I give away all my sins, which in you, I don't want you to, you know, I think, I know you think that I'm like close to sinless, right? So, but like, I, I, <laughs> I have a problem with anger. I would have never, ever, if you asked me years ago, some time ago, now, Joe, do you have a problem with anger? I would have been like, no. No, I don't get angry a lot. And then something happened that, pow, opened my eyes to anger. It was a trial, and I failed. But anyway, even in the failure of the trial, it brought pain in my heart because I hurt somebody with an outburst of anger. I hurt them. And someone, you know, you shouldn't hurt anybody, but this person I shouldn't never hurt. And what pain? Pain for days. And so, you know, I could sulk and then blame. Well, I'm, you know, I'm 100% Irish, right? Don't I have a right? You know, the angry little leprechauns. You ever go to a Celtics game or Red Sox game? People are angry. Bruins, go to a Bruins game, you're going to leave with beer all over you and a black eye. And, you know, that's, that's a good time, you know? <laughs> Those are those are in the good seats, uh, you know. But uh, you know, it's what ex- you can make excuses, or you can turn to God and say, "God's like, you need to change, right?" And what is it? Can I change? Well, look, if people can't change, Christianity is a load of fill in the blank. It's a load of crap. If people can't change, Christianity is worthless. The Christian life is worthless if people can't change. But God is in the business of it. Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But the first part of that sentence is to present your bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice. Then your mind will be transformed. So God says, we need to change you. Now present yourself to me. Right? Present That present, it's a military word for present to take orders. It's a, it's a word of humbling. And that's how God does it. Now, all of those add up. He took care of your anger problem. He took care of your addiction. He took care of your lack of love. And he keeps taking care of that because that's a big one. He took care of your lack of thankfulness. He took care of your grumpiness. He took care of your jealousy. He took on and on and on. He, and, and 
You know, they don't all happen on the same day. <laughs> that would be a big day. <laughs> Just to imagine it, be like, wow, what a day. I'm completely changed. But that doesn't happen that way. It's one after another after another when you're ready. And then some time goes by. Moments add up to days, days to weeks, weeks to months, months to years to decades. And all of a sudden, you're like, you get out of bed and you're like Christ. And that's where he wants you. He loves you too much not to get you there. But it's trial all the way. Not every, every moment, thank God. But it is trial. And so in 1 Corinthians 10 is this very thing. And it's compared to the Exodus generation in the wilderness. So look at 10.1. Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And that, that means they're identified with Moses. That's a significant word coming up. We're going to look at baptism. But uh, this is their identification with Moses going through the Red Sea. The cloud is the glory of God leading them through the wilderness. In verse 3, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. And they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. In the wilderness is either turned into a garden for you, or you're laid low in it. And of course, we know at the Exodus, they were laid low. Uh, And so there's pain in the wilderness. There's, and for now, and and so Paul's going to go on there, uh, speak of don't be like them. They were given to us in that, as an example and don't crave the evil things that they craved. They didn't crave God and that's why they failed. And so if you look at verse 11, he says, Now these things happened to them as an example, for they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. In other words, for us in the church, these things were recorded for the benefit of those who would come later. Don't crave what they craved. And then he says in verse 12, let, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And here is our word like in the wilderness situation. As the pain and trial and temptation comes upon you, what are you to respond to it with? Don't think you stand, man. All right, and this takes us back to a couple of classes ago where we looked at the fall. Why does Jesus have to come being born as a virgin? Because he cannot be born in Adam. Because all who are born in Adam are dying. They were, de- were dead, really. And why we carved out a corner of the universe for ourselves until God to go away. We wanted to be gods. And, uh, and we all inherited pride from our original father, Adam. We are full of it. Our nature of sin. Everybody's proud. Don't think you stand, he says, lest you fall. And then he says in verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to, there's our word, endure it. There's a word we're going to look at again here in a second. So <clears throat> this, um, some people think that this passage means that you know, no temptation is going to come upon you. Uh, sorry, uh, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, meaning that God's only going to give you tests that you're going to pass. 
I mean, that's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous reading into this because the context is Israel in the wilderness. They did not pass. The, uh, this uh, not allowing you to be tempted beyond what you're able, the able is you being alive. You see, you know, it's, God has given you a life, and that life is decreed. Everything that comes into your life, God has decreed, meaning your whole life you are able. Right? He has made it this way. You're in Christ. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You have the Word of God. You're born again. You're righteous. You're justified. You're elected and predestined and adopted. And on and on the list goes. Forgiven of all sin. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're led by the Spirit. There is nothing that we don't have the power to overcome because God keeps pouring his power into us. So that's what this is. The temptation is life itself. We can be like the exodus in the wilderness, or we could be like the few, like uh, Caleb and Joshua, you know, two out of those two million (laughs) or whoever, who uh, actually trusted God and made it through into the promised land. So um, Paul is in, again, every wilderness experience you have, meaning every pain and every temptation, God has provided the way of escape. And notice that at this last line here in verse 13, that the way of escape is the ability to endure. So escape kind of seems to mean that you've gotten out of the trial. But that flies in the face of the word endurance because endurance means that you're still in it. And so the way of escape is the escape from failing, the escape from being laid low in the wilderness, the escape from pride, the escape from making excuses, the escape from not enduring, whatever it takes to not endure. And so we endure. So James tells us to rejoice in our trials So before we run back to Matthew, we have just enough time. Go to James chapter 1. This word for trials that James is going to use is the exact same word that's used of our Lord in his trials in the wilderness. And so the enduring of trials by faith will, of course, we're going to see this very soon, possibly next week, where our Lord in chapter 4 of Matthew He uses the book of Deuteronomy. He uses three passages from Deuteronomy to stand against Satan. That's what he uses, is the word of God. He puts his faith in the word of God as a man, as a God-man. He puts his faith in the word of God, and he passes those tests. And then then out of that wilderness comes a beginning, which is his ministry. James chapter 1. Uh, Verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. That's just a great one, isn't it? The word various means that they're of all shapes and sizes, right? There isn't just one kind. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The same word that we just saw Paul use in 1 Corinthians. I believe that's hupomone there. The endurance to remain in the trial and, you know, so endurance here means that I'm going to not complain. I mean, actually, and I, I'm not endorsing complaining. I'm just more of a, I'm a realist, and I know we complain. 
if the trial is still there after you've complained and even complained to God, you, you still got a shot at it. So what I, uh, the endurance means that I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to trust his promises. I'm going to trust God, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to use wisdom. And so we'll get right there in a second. Because in verse 5, it says, if you lack wisdom, ask God, James says. So like I, if you're in the trial and you're like, I don't, this is not, of course, asking God for the word or scripture or doctrines that you haven't learned yet. Say, so God, just, you know, data dump into my mind all the doctrines that I need to know. He's not going to do that. Uh, this is, I need wisdom, God, to endure this trial. I'm, I don't know exactly what to do or how to think. And so James says here, ask. And he says, ask with faith, knowing that you're going to receive it. So consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let that endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect. You know, it doesn't mean sinless. That Greek word, this is teleos. It means to be mature. So it's a synonym with the word complete. James is being emphatic, so that you may be perfect and complete, or mature and complete, lacking nothing. There's the purpose of your trials, the purpose of the wilderness. You have had so many new beginnings over the years as a believer that you lack nothing. Right? You can be in a situation and not get jealous. You can be in a situation and not be afraid. You can be with that certain person and love them unconditionally. On and on. You can control yourself. Control your body. Control. You know, you're not sinless, but for the most part, you have become someone who is mature. And all along the way, God puts you in these little wilderness situations, all to change your thinking, to start new on a way of thinking. <clears throat> now, certainly, repentance always has a level of pain. That's what John is going to get at here. Uh, and, yeah. Um, I don't know if I want to start this now. Well, I can summarize and then go to the end. Yeah. Um, so, John says repent. And, and repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning that it's here. And, and we'll see that. We'll see that tomorrow. Repent is this. A, a repent is a, a new beginning. It's a, another way of looking at it. It can either. It literally it means to change your mind. It generally, it has this connotation here, as I have on the board, that it's a complete change of attitude. That's a stronger way of putting it. But this is how God would mean it. God wouldn't want a casual change of mind concerning things. An unbeliever has this. You no, know, it's, it's the idea that I don't need a Savior to I, holy cow, I need a Savior. That, you know, I'm not a sinner, as all those people say, to the understanding that I am. Uh, there's no John the Baptist in our world to convict the world right now concerning this. There's someone better than that. There's God the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit's job to everybody to convict them concerning their sin and their lack of righteousness. And the fact that there's a judgment coming. That's how Jesus put it. He's going to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
people, it's obvious that people have a free will. Because if the Holy Spirit is convicting people and they're able to say no, they're resisting God. Uh, so repent, this is a painful thing. Right? Who wants to do this? Nobody. We just we make excuses. Repent. Think of a new beginning. I mean, if the, your new beginning is like a vacation to Maui or something, then we, yeah, sure, I'm all excited for that. But you know, for most journeys, it's like you know we make excuses as to why we should start this tomorrow. And uh, yeah, so the application to us is don't fear. The wilderness. And I like this picture I, I found of this cross-country skier. It's uh, alone. Uh, from what I understand, cross-country skiing is mighty hard. It, it's one of my favorite events to watch in the Winter Olympics for whatever reason. Uh, I, I mean, it's boring as all get out, but their names are funny. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and it looks really hard. And uh, when they come, if you've ever watched... Um, uh, I already forgot the name of it. Uh, cross-country skiing in, in the Olympics, when they cross the finish line, the people who are winning, they, all, they look like, they're, like a medic needs to come out. They need EMTs at the finish line because they've exhausted themselves so much. Uh, but, and that's what it is. It's endurance. And endurance is going to have its result, as James said, and it's going to open your eyes. It will open your eyes to new beginnings. They're scary at first, but they're really not. I mean, if you've had enough of them, they, you still, I don't think any of us, I, at least I haven't been. Like, I'm the standard. I'm such an idiot talking like that. But, um, you know, it's when they come, I don't know if our initial is, yeah, you know, another one. I'm going to change some more. But after you've been through enough of these, we should start at least to know that God has us in this wilderness situation for a reason. Uh, what do I need to repent from? All of us have it. It's not, it's not a dirty word. <laughs> Repentance is just I, I need to turn an attitude towards God. It may be just some little corner of my soul. It may be a big portion of my soul. But there's something in me that has to change. Uh, what do I need to confess to God in all honesty? If I'm not confessing the thing that I need to change, I'm, I, obviously I don't think I need to change it. Right? That's a part of your homo legao, of your confession, is, God, I have this particular issue. It doesn't have to be a particular sin, but you should confess all of those, knowing that you're forgiven. Um, and, and pray about it. That's an awesome thing to ask God. As right after you ask him for wisdom, ask him for, you know, reveal in my heart what it is that you want me to change. What's the next thing on the list? God, the Holy Spirit's going to help you with this. And that's why we don't have to fear it. This is, it's not condemnation. It's an, an exciting thing. It's a surrender to God's word. It's a surrender to his will. And if everything is going really well and there's no pain, are we going to change stuff? That's when we don't. We think we're sufficient. And we're not. We never are completely. And so we know something is wrong when things hurt. Pain shatters the illusion that all is well. Pain shatters the illusion that what we have, whether good or bad, 
is enough, and it's not. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word and for the um, the uh, conviction of your word, the warning of your word, and also the encouragement of your word. We thank you, Father, that through your word we know that we're forgiven, we know that you are patient, and we know that when you bring trial in our lives or correction or pain, that you are always for us and never against us. This you say in your word. So as you promised us to bring us home, to bring us to maturity, do so, Father, and remind us of our proper response to your work. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.